I think if you ask the majority of people, many of them Christians and some of them non-Christians perhaps, what was the central message of Jesus? What was the one thing that Jesus came to teach us um, out of his life and ministry? I think the majority of people would say he came to tell us to love one another. That's really um, it's the most common answer you'd get. Somebody who knows the Bible might even quote you out of John chapter 13 when he says, A new commandment I give to you, which is that you love one another as I have loved you, so you love one another. Now that sounds right. That is really hard to challenge. What could be wrong with that? How do you disagree with that? Love was certainly a major aspect of his ministry and his teaching. But over the next uh, eight, nine weeks, I'd like to convince you that if you read the message of Jesus carefully, that was not his primary message. His principal message he came to teach us was really about what we will call the kingdom of God. We've sung about that this morning. That last song that we sung, the third one this morning, this kingdom just really hit the nail, as it were, on the head. And we started a new series this morning on this truth of what the kingdom of God is. So you say, well, how do you get there? Let me give you some verses. I hope they will start to convince you. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, you shall not enter the kingdom of God. Matthew 6.33, he says, seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Then he goes on to say, all these things, that's all the food and clothing things that we need. He said, they will be added to you. Many of the parables of Jesus are parables about how the, what the kingdom is and how the kingdom works. We'll look at some of them in the weeks ahead. Jesus talked about the necessity of being born again so that we could see the kingdom of God. We call this, next week I think it is, kingdom qualifications. You say, well that was just the Gospels and perhaps that stopped then. But if you move out of beyond the earthly ministry of Jesus, Acts chapter 1, it says Jesus appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. When Paul was preaching in the city of Ephesus, it says he argued with them persuasively about the kingdom of God. The letter to the Colossians says, God, Jesus has rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son whom he loves. So this idea, this phrase, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, is used about a hundred times in the New Testament. And so our conclusion has got to be that the kingdom of God was the most important message that Jesus came to declare. And we want to understand, discover what it means to live by the priority of Jesus through these weeks. But what does the kingdom of God mean? Let's start by defining it this morning. This morning I'm going to work you kind of hard for the next 30 minutes. So um, have your Bibles, you'll need them in a moment. And track with me, you've got some notes also in the bulletin. Prior to about 1890 in North America, I think there was a greater kingdom consciousness or kingdom thinking than we have now. The kingdom is really the fusion of three main ideas. First of all, there was social action. Christians had an active mindset which bore fruit in many social ministries and cultural reforms. Labor laws, many things like that. Hospitals and schools and education. All came out of the kingdom of God at work in Christians. Secondly, there was evangelistic zeal. They wanted to see people come to Christ. And thirdly, when they talked about the kingdom of God, there also was a sense of prophetic hope. They looked ahead to something which still had to be fulfilled, still had to come, be realized. And then after about 1890, 1900, this cohesive integration of the kingdom 
sadly began to disintegrate. It, it, it sort of fell apart. And what happened was there was people who were concerned about social action. And so they went off as it were and they did their thing. They separated it from the gospel and its evangelistic emphasis. In reaction, the evangelical church from about 1920, they spiritualized the message of the kingdom and they said, it only relates to being saved and being born again. That's all that it needs. Others, and they still are on television today, they look ahead to see the kingdom that was only to come in prophetic hope. So the kingdom was only a future reality. It had really nothing to do to impact our lives today. The result was you would understand that the meaning of the kingdom became fragmented and justice became separated from the gospel. I sense that we're beginning to see part of the, maybe something of the recovery of this trinity of the kingdom, these things coming together. But what exactly is the kingdom? We've sung about it this morning. It's not a place. The kingdom as we began our opening song this morning, crown with many crowns, the kingdom, what is it, gold, Willis, crown with many crowns? The lamb upon the throne. That's the line. Okay? I shouldn't head into things that are not in my notes. It is not a place. It is the rule and the reign of God where God is invited to reign. It's a reality wherever God comes to reign. The kingdom of God, you must understand with me, is both present and future. It is both here and now and is also to come. I think that for me the easiest illustration is a a woman who is pregnant, she's having a baby, but she also will have a baby. It is both present and is to come. The kingdom is both earthly and heavenly. It's hidden and it's visible, we'll see in the parables. It's physical and it's spiritual. It is both individual, relates to you as a person, but it's also communal, it relates to the church. And the task of the church is to live out the truth of the kingdom, to declare the message of the kingdom, to call people into the kingdom, to train people to train you for kingdom living, to live like a kingdom community. We're called to be the sons and daughters of the kingdom, because folks, we're sons and daughters of the king. And the question is more serious than just, do you believe in Jesus? The more important question is, are you in the kingdom, and is the kingdom in you? Personal salvation is at the center. We'll hold that. But the kingdom also calls us to think about the poor, the environment, about injustice. All of that, you see, is the reign of God. The church is to be a kingdom community. Intended to be, by God to be a living, organic microcosm, microcosm of what the kingdom will be until it is fulfilled. Until, remember in Revelation and in Handel's Messiah, until the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ. So, so this morning we start a new series. And if you've got your Bible this morning, I hope you turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We'll start about verse 5. One day the followers of Jesus um, asked him one of the, perhaps the most important questions they could have asked him. They didn't say, Lord, teach us how to preach. Teach us how to go to church. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus responds to them by telling them, first of all, how not to pray. If you have your Bible open, your iPod, whatever, verse 5. When you pray, Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have reward in full. God's not impressed by hypocrisy. 
God is not impressed by what looks good only on the outside. He wants to know what's in your heart and my heart. Verse 6, when you pray, go to your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's not against praying in public. But really, where do we really do our praying? We do it in our heart in secret. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they'll be heard because of their many words. It's really saying to us, God is not impressed with long prayers. And then... Jesus gives us what we'll call a template for prayer, a pattern to follow. We call it the Lord's Prayer. And it begins in words that we would know well. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. And then the next line is, your kingdom come. And as Hebrew often does, you find this in the book of Proverbs, what Hebrew often does is repeats the same idea in a slightly different way. And the second phrase expands and explains and describes what the first phrase means. So when you pray your kingdom come, what that really means is, the next line tells you, it is may your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. That's what we're praying for. When we pray for the kingdom to come, we're praying for your will to be done on earth and in our lives and in our church as it is already perfectly done in heaven. You know you buy sometimes, you buy things in London drugs or stores or whatever, and they get warning labels on them? You know the warning labels? Yes. Oh, good. I wondered if I was the only one awake. Let me tell you a really stupid thing I did some years ago. You know the packages you buy with a warning label, and it has a skeleton hand on it? We had a house in Victoria which was painted, it was painted white. It was stucco. And I wanted to get it painted. It was getting a little grubby. And so I called a painter and he said, it's about $5,000 to paint your house. And I said, ah, it's kind of a lot of money. He says, do you know what you could really do? And this is an old Scottish thing. He said, you could go to a lumber yard. He told me where to go. And that's you can buy whitewash. And if you buy two bags of whitewash, it costs you about $50, you can paint all your stucco. Whitewash is very, very thin mixture, but when it dries in the sun, wow! It is brilliant white. You get little cottages in the north of Scotland used to be done. They were whitewashed. They weren't painted. They were whitewashed. And he said to me as a painter, whitewash is better for your stucco than paint. Because paint will not allow it to breathe. Stucco will allow it to breathe. Much better. And it's only about 50 bucks. You can do it yourself. Hey, that sounds like a pretty good deal. So I went down to the lumber yard and I bought two bags of whitewash. And I brought them home and mixed them up and started to work. Now, they got this sign on them with a skeleton hand. I said, that probably doesn't mean very much. So I whitewashed away. And it kind of ran down my arms because it's wet and sloppy and whatever. And that was fine. Went to bed and I got a shower and went to bed and I get up the next morning and my arms are all burned. They're all burned. So Harriet said to me, you better go to the hospital. See about that. So I went to emergency, waited a while, got an emergency, saw a doctor, and she said, what were you doing? I said, I was whitewashing my house. And she said, what did it say on the packet? I said, well, it had one of these skeleton hands on the packet. She said to me, can you read? 
I said, well, I have four university degrees, and one of them is a master's degree in English literature. <laughs> she said, said to me, you're an idiot. <laughs> Can I just tell you that this prayer and this line should come with a warning label? I don't know if it's a hand or not, but it comes with a warning label. And the warning is this. Do we really know what we're praying for when we're praying for the kingdom to come? Do we really understand? One of the lines in the third song this morning, this kingdom, would you come and have your way among us, Lord Jesus? Do we really know what we're praying for? You remember Jesus, just before his crucifixion, (coughs) Jesus stood before Pilate and he said, My kingdom is not of this world. You know, he was saying to Pilate, You are operating by the only rules that you know. The rule of political power, the power of the sword, the power of your title, the power of Rome behind you. But I am operating by a different kingdom. One that Pilate could not see, could not understand, but which was more powerful than one that Pilate knew. This prayer, may your kingdom come, should come with a warning to us. Because Jesus was talking to Pilate about a kind of power which is diametrically opposed to the power which is in the world. One kind of power seeks to control people, the other will serve people. One seeks the prestige and position of the celebrity, one will fill a basin and go and wash feet. Even after the resurrection, the, the disciples still thought about the kingdom in political terms. So they said, they met together, they asked Jesus, Lord, at this time are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's about political power. But the heart of the kingdom is not political. It is spiritual. In announcing the coming of the kingdom and inviting us to pray for the kingdom, Jesus was turning conventional views of power upside down. So this heart cry for the kingdom, may your kingdom come, must be first of all our willingness to ask what kind of power are we operating from. Richard Foster, the Quaker, um, said the sin in the garden was the sin of power. Lucifer said in Milton's Paradise Lost, It is better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. I think with people in our society today really believe that. So we must ask ourselves, when we pray, Lord, may your kingdom come. Are we willing to realign our lives individually and as a church to be the way things are done in heaven? Because that's how the cry of the kingdom is explained. Are we ready for the fact that the king may turn our lives and our church upside down? Let me unpack this morning, as I often say, just some headings to ask you to think about this kingdom prayer. And these are what I will call prerequisites. Things that we've got to get right first before we pray for the, before the kingdom comes. We pray for the kingdom to come in us. It means that we move from an attitude of democracy to a mindset, I've picked those words carefully, mindset of theocracy. We need some definitions in case you're not familiar with them. Democracy is the government and rule by the people. When the people vote, the people choose their leaders. I have a theory in British Columbia that we don't vote parties in, we vote the other party out. And then we say to the next guys, it's your turn for three or four years or whatever. Monarchy is the rule of the king. 
or sometimes queen. Theocracy is a word that means where God rules, where the rule of God is. And I apologize, I should have added one more. Just thought about it this morning, as we were singing this morning. The word is Christocracy. C-H-R-I-S-T. Christocracy. And that is the rule of Christ. I want to say to you that the church really should be a Christocracy. A place where Christ rules. Our confusion is that we, we live in a democracy. We vote the government in, we vote them out. Laws can be changed. We can exert pressure upon our society and upon our lawmakers to change things. I'll give you an example. Some years ago in Vancouver, um, there was a man who was to be deported from Canada. He was to go back to India or Pakistan, not quite sure which. And about 1,500 supporters of the man protested his deportation. And so when they, they brought him to the airport to, ex, to deport him, they, they blocked the expulsion of this man, deportation, at Vancouver Airport. To prevent further chaos, the immigration officials backed off. And an editorial the next day or two in the Vancouver Sun asked, did democracy win or lose? But when we pray, Father, may your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven, we need to realize that heaven is not a democracy. It's a theocracy. It operates solely and solely under the reign of God. God is king. The angels did not convene a conference to vote on creation. When should it happen? Who should do it? What color do you think the sky should be? Should there be a committee to decide whether grass should be green or purple? Where will we put the mountains? Should Scotland be made more picturesque than any other country? Things like that. Who said no? (laughs) Alfred thought you were my friend. (laughs) Heaven is a theocracy. God acts as king. His word and his deed is final. The angels didn't meet to discuss options about strategies to save the mess the world was in. That flowed from the heart of God. The timing of the final appearance of Jesus is not even left to the sun. It's left in this final cosmic drama to the word of God alone. But we need to understand that our honest and difficult struggle is this. We breathe the air of our culture so much that our understanding of political democracy flows into our spiritual lives. And so we act like spiritual democrats. We assume that we have the right to vote on what we're told by the king. But when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. A paradigm shift needs to take place in us. We're asking that God's will will be known, for God's rule to be made clear. And implicit in our prayer, we are saying, whatever that is, whatever we hear, we will do it. Power flows from the kingdom, really from the king. And it lies in our willingness to acknowledge the word of the king and in our obedience to do it. <coughs> this idea of democracy can also create a struggle in a corporate sense in a church like VCBC. Let me ask, let me ask you, you, you listen carefully. And so this morning, could I ask you not to mishear me and not to misquote me? Um, I'm a little sensitive about this, but may I walk carefully and can you walk with me? We are a congregational church as a Baptist church. Which means we are not governed by a single person such as a Pope. Or sometimes in a strong evangelical church, it is a strong charismatic personality. 
Nor are we ruled by a bishop, nor by a group of appointed elders, and some, and some churches called elders. When you become a member at VCBC, you may vote at business meetings, you may vote on um, a number of things, you may vote on such things as property and finances and key pastoral appointments, church direction. In that sense, we say we are democratic. But we need to handle this idea very carefully. Our democracy is not to be a mere copy of a secular political process in which in the church we lobby for what we want and gather our troops. We vote people in, we vote people out. It is not a democracy in which we have a personality contest for the best pastor. But listen, it is a spiritual democracy in which each member as a believer in the body of Christ can come and together in prayer we seek the will of God for us. Our democracy is our way to try to seek and find theocracy, which is the way and will of God, the will of God among us. The church is actually a Christocracy. It is a place where Jesus rules and where Jesus has the last word. We need that mindset. I use the word mindset. It comes from Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be among you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And so when we pray, may your kingdom come. As a church, we're defining ourselves as a Christocracy. We're saying, in this place and among us, Christ is Lord. In this place, God is King. We're not here to vote on that. We're not here to debate that. We are here to declare that the way that things are done in heaven, in the mind of the Father, this is how they will be done here on earth among us. Got it? And the power of the kingdom, I believe, flows from that kind of prayer. That's a prerequisite. Let me give you another prerequisite. We prepare for the kingdom to come in us. When we move from an attitude of self-centeredness to a mindset of servanthood. There's many choices in our society that make us good consumers, but breed an attitude of consumerism amongst us. I wrote about this recently in a church article about how we become consumers in so many different ways. That's fine when you go shopping for groceries or cars. Consumerism is not fine when it comes to the matters of the heart and the spirit. It's very easy to drift towards self-centeredness, which, in which we then ask the question in church, so what have you got for me? I acknowledge we have leg- legitimate needs for our families and children, our own interests. But when we bring consumerism into the church, we end up, frankly, little more than church shoppers instead of followers of Jesus. The better question is, what do we bring to Jesus? And what do we bring to the common good of the church? Remember what we're praying for. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is done perfectly right now. Moment by moment in heaven. And when we cry, your kingdom come. Our lives must be moving towards a mindset of servanthood. And that will prepare us for the kingdom. God is willing to trust kingdom power to people who will use it wisely and towards the goal of helping people. Not serving their own ends and purposes. 
If as the church VCBC is serious about praying, Father, your kingdom come. We must be able to ask ourselves and answer before God, are we willing to use the power of the kingdom to meet the needs of people? To use it beyond ourselves and beyond our own needs. To use it to serve God on earth one day as we will serve Him in heaven. I believe that then and only then, God will release His power. Here's a third prerequisite. We prepare for the kingdom to come in and among us as we move from an attitude of rights to a mindset of responsibilities. Once again, we breathe too deeply of the air in our culture. There's a deadly virus of selfishness and rights that suffocates us. There's hardly a day goes past, I think, in our society when someone in one context or another doesn't say, but I've got rights. These are my rights. Sometimes, there may be a point, if a car goes through a red light and hits me and I have witnesses, then I have some rights. It's fine. But do you understand, our struggle again is this. We bring this whole conversation, this whole language of rights, into our understanding of Christianity and the living out of our faith. And so we end up with an impoverished, an anemic sense of what being a Christian is all about. It's not about rights. It's about our responsibilities. What we bring to the Lord and to each other. I wonder if many of us truly understand the depth of what was really taking place. When we bowed our knee to accept Jesus. And if you're baptized, I hope you are. If not, I really believe that when we accept Jesus, the next step is to follow him in the waters of baptism. We're willing to do that Easter Sunday. If you want to be part of that, come and let us know. When you went, when I went under the waters of baptism in a church many, many years ago now in Glasgow, in that visible, undeniable act of confession, we were saying, Jesus is Lord. People watched us. Perhaps they sang. But at that moment, do I understand, we gave up our rights. We surrender the ownership of our lives to the King of Kings. We laid ourselves down at the foot of the cross. You remember that passage I quoted that starts in Philippians, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It finishes this way. And so God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the God the Father. One day, one day, we will all bow our knees. And we will declare in worship, Jesus is Lord. And so when we pray, Father may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. It is making that declaration here and now. It is starting and rolling here and now. It is living in that priority of Jesus here and now. Are we ready to pray? Let your kingdom come. Let it be done on earth, here among us, as it is done in heaven right now. Are we ready to pray that? Because that is what it means to live by the priority of Jesus. 
So we come to this table. We come as brothers and sisters, yes. But you also understand this morning we come as a kingdom community. We come as men and women whom the kingdom has started. Like a baby being born in a mother's womb. But much more still to come. We pray that the kingdom will come. When we come to this table, we're saying, this is where Christ rules. When we come to this table, we give up selfishness at this table. When we come to this table, we give up our rights. And at this table, Jesus is the one who really serves us. Jesus is Lord. Amen? Cindy and Johnny are going to come and lead us this morning. Pastor Cowan has already reminded us about the kingdom of God and how Christ has come and fulfilling the kingdom in us. So this morning we have the opportunity to share in communion, communally. And so I hope you will be very aware even of your brothers and sisters who are seated next to you. Even the simple act of passing a tray from one hand to the next. Often I'm usually worried, am I going to spill the cups as they come by? But if you have an opportunity, look in the face of the person whom you're passing a tray to this morning. They are your brother. They are your sister in Christ. And they together, us together as the body, get to fulfill God's kingdom. It is for our best and for God's glory if we're fully functioning in unity and standing together in the body of Christ. So I invite the service to come forward and Pastor Johnny to come forward um, to, to assist this morning. I'm going to read the text from Paul, from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul's giving instructions here to the church, and some of this is um, a reminder about the Lord's Supper. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For wherever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. May we, through this simple act of remembrance this morning, proclaim his death until he comes. If you are a follower of Jesus, we invite you to participate um, in this remembrance ceremony this morning. Father God, we thank you for the bread and the cup, for they serve reminders to us of your kingdom that is being lived out through the death of your son, Jesus Christ, and the sacrifice for us. Thank you that you have given us life in your son. And Father, would you teach us more and more and more what does it mean to reflect his glory in your kingdom. We pray this in your remembrance and for your glory. Amen.